Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, on location from the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, or AIC, in sunny San Diego. I'm Dr. Isabel Kastein, and today I have the pleasure of guest hosting the second of four show series being recorded each day at AIC. As part of this series, we're sharing highlights with fantastic early career researcher guests. Today we're going to cover the second day, although with so much pre-conference activity, you could argue this is day four, but to clarify, I'm talking about Monday. Before we start, let's make some introductions. For those who don't know me, I'm a research fellow at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, or BIDMC, Harvard Medical School in Boston, working with Dr. Winston Hyatt. In my current position, I'm investigating protective mechanisms to Alzheimer's disease with a special interest in single cell and spatial transcriptomics. I am thrilled to be at AIC in person this year for lots of reasons, one of them being because it always have a special place in my heart, really, after being an ISART student volunteer, now called ambassador, twice during my PhD. If you're a student listening to this podcast, make sure to check how you can apply to become an ISART student ambassador next year. I guarantee that it is lots of fun and absolutely amazing for networking and for making friends for life. Let's move on to our brilliant guests. I'm delighted to introduce three people who are entirely new to the show, Dr. Annalise Roman Filipiak, Dr. Bergav Nalapu, and Dr. Connor Richardson. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Annalise, tell us about yourself, please. Well, first, thanks so much for inviting me. This is really exciting. Um, so I am a clinical neuropsychologist, and um, I work over at the University of Michigan with the research program on cognition and neuromodulation-based interventions. Um, I'm also an assistant professor with the Michigan Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. And most of my work focuses on culturally informed biomarker disclosure practices. So basically thinking about how we communicate about biomarker results to diverse populations. Wow, that's really interesting. Thank you. Bargav, go ahead and introduce yourself, Hi. please. Yes, to begin with, uh, thank you for having me here, and I'm really glad to be here. I'm uh, Bhargav Nalapu, and I'm a postdoctoral researcher with Albert Einstein College of Medicine and Department of Neurology. I work with Dr. Rezati and Dr. Lipton, and our team uh, uses machine learning to understand the predictive power of uh, biomarkers in, in terms of disease progression or prognostic of uh, in AD. And um, yes, I'm really excited to be in this conference and to be talking with you all. Thank you. Connor, let's come to you. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Connor. Um, again, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. Um, I'm a postdoc at the University of Newcastle in the UK. And I work on the cognitive function and aging studies, which is a very large multi-center population representative cohort um, of older people in the UK. Um, I work with Professor Fiona Matthews, and we primarily look at modeling longitudinal risk of dementia um, across time in the UK at a population level. Um, but we don't we don't just work with dementia, we look at a whole range of um, of health outcomes for older people um, at the moment, as well as dementia. I'm also looking at loneliness and depression mm. um, caused by the COVID-19 lockdowns. Wow, this is really interesting. I'm surrounded by brilliant scientists. <laughs> 
So I'm actually going to break the ice for a little bit now by starting with asking you about Sunday's welcome reception. This is a little bit of cheating because it's not about Monday, but I had so much fun and I would like to hear if you guys had fun. For our listeners that were not there or here, um, the reception was California themed with several cities represent, represented in different areas of the venue. And there were live statues that were absolutely incredible. I was particularly fascinated by the lady dressed as a, as a water fountain who never lost character by one moment. And I think my actual favorite part of the night was the Hollywood area that had a red carpet with paparazzi taking photos of you and asking you questions about your new movie uh, while you walked down the red carpet. That was so much fun. What about our guests? Do you enjoy Sunday's reception? It was uh, something else for sure. <laughs> I, you know, not a reception that um, I've seen at some of the conferences I traditionally attend. This is my first AAIC in person. Um, nothing says Alzheimer's disease research like a lady fanning herself in a cocktail <laughs> glass. So, but yeah, it was it was amazing to see just the, you know the entertainment and the interactions. People really got into it. Yes, it was really amazing. And I agree with you. One of my favorite parts was the paparazzi taking photos. And I'm glad that I got my niece excited when I shared that. She thought, <laughs> okay, this is how scientists are received. So that's great. So I got her excited that to get into science. That is good PR for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was excellent. Um, it was definitely the first kind of reception like that I've ever been to at a conference. Mm. Um, and it was it was awesome because you, you meet people, like you met people that very first day and then by the night time you're like, dancing away with them, <laughs> which was just excellent. Yeah, I've seen a, quite a few receptions from AIC. AIC, I guess, goes a bit overboard with that. But it's fun because it actually makes us interact with each other, meet other people, network. So it's really, really fun. OK, so back to work. All of today's guests are presenting this year at AIC. Um, Connor, you presented on using machine learning for feature ranking and classification. Do you want to tell us more about it? Yeah, so what I presented today is really the first stages and following up a paper that uh, myself and a group at Newcastle and Sheffield University collaborated with University College London. Um, and I mentioned before where I work with the cognitive function ageing studies. So as well as being a large population cohort that uh, collects a lot of demographic data and health data about participants, it also has quite a sizable brain bank. So we have about 600 brains in the CFAS brain bank. Um, and what we published last year was updating our dementia risk models for newer neuropathologies, which we've, over recent years, been able to stand for, which we couldn't previously. Um, we also identified a brand new pathology caused by serum amyloid protein, uh, serum amyloid component P. Um, so we wanted to try and again update our methodologies and try and move into this machine learning space. Mm -hmm. So we tried to go a little bit against the grain of how machine learning is normally done. So we took a different approach from trying to model as many different neuropathology variables as we can and see what happens. We kind of took what we'd been working on from our classical epidemiological modeling to things that we knew had a robust risk profile for dementia and tried to put those six um, six variables which we knew about, including the new one for SAP, um, into a machine learning model. And to really see whether this kind of machine learning approach tells us anything different or anything more than what our kind of classical epidemiological models did. 
Um, and we found a couple of uh, pretty cool findings. So we found that using kind of things like uh, decision trees, you get an idea of um, at what point certain neuropathologies become more important than each other. So we found that serum amyloid component P was quite important in differentiating dementia risk in people who had quite low BRAC staging. Um, but we also found quite a few issues with it. So we found that in comparison to using the kind of epidemiological modeling we did before, just your normal logistic regression models, um, the machine learning didn't really add a huge amount of information to what we had before. Um, and actually in certain neuropathologies where you have quite low numbers in the cohort, like Lewy bodies, um, it actually throws out some quite strange results. So it, it told us like that Lewy bodies were the had the least importance <laughs> of determining dementia risk, which is obviously not right if you have Lewy body dementia. Um, so it, it'll be, I think it'd be quite an interest. I've had a, a lot of interesting discussions about whether people approach this kind of determining dementia risk from a statistical epidemiological point of view or a data science point of view, and both camps seem to have quite differing opinions on how these models work. But um, but yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. Ah, interesting. Bargav, I know you also do machine learning, and you presented a poster on plasma-based biomarkers, and you're also giving a lightning presentation on Wednesday. Want to tell us more about that, that yes, work? Yes, sure. And I, actually, to start with, uh, Connor gave a very good overview of uh, the trade-offs and the benefits of using machine learning in this field. And I, for myself, uh, we focus on AD pathology and the data from biomarkers and cognitive assessments. Uh, and we try to use machine learning uh, to understand the progression or the predictive power of these biomarkers, but with uh, with keeping in mind that it's not we are not looking for some best performing models with complicated machine learning behind them. At the end of the day, it's the clinical relevance that we are looking at, especially when you talk about biomarkers and the different kind of complexities involved in plasma or CSF or MRI. So that's what we are trying to understand, what each of these contribute to our ability to understand the progression of disease. So that's uh, actually kind of work that I presented related to plasma-based biomarkers. And on the other hand, the lightning presentation is going to be on understanding the effect of alcohol on cognition. And why that is something that we felt was important to understand is because alcohol is one of the biggest modifiable risks in dementia. Mm -hmm. And moreover, we were actually observing the differences of effects probably in sexes differently or in the status of A-beta uh, in their brain, uh, different effects. So that's one of the reasons we were interested in understanding these effects of alcohol consumption on uh, cognition and in different sexes. So that's the lightning presentation uh, on Wednesday. So yes, if you could, uh, it'd be great if you could attend that. And <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing. And before we started recording, you actually uh, shared something on how when you think about the best biomarkers, you actually take into consideration how easy it is for the, the, the participants or for, for people that you're trying to, to use them on. Do you want to, to tell more about exactly. that? Exactly. Thank you for raising that point because that's exactly our uh, our goal in this endeavor is not to uh, come up with a complicated model that achieves some best performance. In fact, I started this work with a with a simple uh, table that, that gives you an idea of what is the ease of acquiring this biomarker data and what is the cost involved in it and uh, what is the discomfort involved in it for a patient. And I'm trying to understand uh, how does this map 
to their contribution in our analysis and in models mm -hmm. it's like is how far is plasma getting compared to a neuropsych uh, mm -hmm. assessment or an mri we we all know that uh, pet scans can be very powerful to understand or mri can be powerful but the question is okay but how far can plasma get like what when is it good enough and what's the incremental predictive validity of that information over stuff we can acquire precisely. more easily Precisely. yes so that's one of the important lines we are taking in in doing this modeling work i love that thank you thank, thank you, you for going through um that um Annalise, uh you are giving a presentation on thursday want to share some more details with us and why our listeners should not miss it sure so i am co-chairing um, and presenting in a session uh, that will bring together some researchers from university of michigan uh, university of pittsburgh and uh, university of wisconsin uh, almost all of whom are early career so shout out to all of them um, but we're going to be talking broadly about sort of considerations for pet biomarker disclosure um, we all work together to some extent in the advisory group for risk um, evidence education in dementia, or AGREED, um, which is an international work group that um, incorporates stakeholders, patients, uh, caregivers, clinicians, researchers, others, um, all who care about communication of results back to research participants or, or patients. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the steps that need to be taken um, for sort of ethical and safe biomarker disclosure, the potential impact of that information in folks' lives, um, how to incorporate uh, diversity factors in the way that you do this. So uh, I know it is the last session of the conference, but change your travel plans, y'all, and come to it. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's really interesting. Okay, let's get down to business on highlights from Monday. For those who are new to the format of these shows, we really just go around and talk about our favorite bits from the conference. As I'm hosting, I thought of starting by sharing one of mine first when I was preparing for this podcast. Unfortunately, I did not have much room to breathe yesterday because I stayed by my po poster all day that turned out to be very popular, much more than I was expecting. So my highlight is going to be a bit biased since I did not get the chance to see many of the presentations I planned to see. I really enjoyed the plenary by Dr. Thomas Beach, who called our attention into the importance of definitions and classifications in neurodegenerative diseases and gave us a beautiful overview of neuropathologies throughout history, comorbidities, highlighted the good and bad sides of reductionisms. I really recommend his talk if you haven't seen it yet. I know that I will rewatch it by taking advantage of the fact that it was recorded and it's a hybrid <laughs> format. <laughs> what about our guests? Uh, what are your highlights from yesterday, Annalise? So, uh, you know, it, sort of in line with what we've been talking about, I think a lot of these complex modeling um, and, and computational modeling, machine learning approaches um, have the opportunity to kind of use you know, large data sets. I think a problem of some of those large data sets is a lack of representation um, from underserved and underrepresented uh, communities. So I was really excited to attend the featured research symposium that talked about the crisis of underrepresentation in ADRD studies. Um, just such a rich, amazing uh, presentation. And I think they balanced contextual information, historical information with really tangible current recommendations very well. So some of the folks that I, I want to highlight from there, uh, Kylie Smith is a historian um, in nursing, I think, at, at Emory. And she started that featured research symposium really highlighting the historical context. Um, I think many of us know uh, about some of the more obvious and egregious ethical atrocities that have been enacted upon the black community, things like Tuskegee. Mm -hmm. 
But she presented some really nice data that was drawn from um, primary data, historical data from asylums in the South, Mm -hmm. the American South, um, just showing sort of racialized diagnostic procedures and how that really colors the data that we have today, the way we diagnose um, different individuals, and what we quote unquote know about um, sort of race differences in in different diagnostic categories within dementia. So I think she presented that uh, information beautifully. And then within that, that presentation as well, um, there were some really great tangible recommendations from people like uh, Dr. Jackson, so Jonathan Jackson, um, from Jen Lingler, who is at UPIT, um, and and from uh, you know a few other folks there about um, really empirically supported strategies for engaging underserved communities. Um, so they presented relational organizing strategy, which is uh, really comes from kind of the political space. Um, and it, it just reflecting on how that that is such a um, important but time-consuming um, and and effort-consuming practice, and how really what that points to is that we need to be budgeting that time and energy and effort into our timelines, into our grants, um, into our our tenure plans, all of those things if we really want to do this well. Um, the, there were some other speakers, so Jason Flatt and, and Crystal Kittle, who are from University of Nevada, Las Vegas, um, and they presented some really great data um, and, and suggestions about uh, sexual and gender minority populations, and really thinking about how intersectional identities um, can influence sort of your cumulative risk for uh, Alzheimer's disease, but also the way that you experience that diagnosis, the way you provide care, um, the burden. So one sort of take home that I thought was really powerful from from Crystal's presentation was this idea that caregivers who are sexual and gender minorities are, um, you know, over time navigating their own uh, identities um, and maybe the conflicts that they might have had with their parents that they're now taking care of. Um, and at the same time, experiencing you know the well-known discrimination, implicit and explicit, um, around uh, you know healthcare for th- those those individuals. So I just thought it was an incredibly comprehensive and, and powerful set of talks. I really appreciated it. Wow! Thank you for giving us so many details. Um, hopefully, our listeners will check all those talks. What about you, Bargav? Anything that you found particularly fascinating yesterday? Definitely, a bunch of them. Actually, before that, uh, I really would like to thank Annalise for highlighting uh, those uh, talks and and the work. Because uh, on on one side, uh, we are aware that one of the underlying uh, themes of this conference, we have been hearing about more uh, diversity that is needed in this research. But what Annalise highlighted just now is not only the diversity in the clinical research we are doing, but the importance of educating these demographics, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the crucial things that you also pointed out that was there in many of these talks. Mm-hmm. So I find it really uh, amazing. And then from myself, uh, I found a couple of them really interesting at a high level, particularly the research on plasma biomarkers. There was a, a hybrid symposium that was uh, in the morning, which was titled The Road to Clinical Implementation of Plasma Biomarkers, which I believe all of us are really excited and interested to know more about. Mm -hmm. And all four of them, there was uh, Dr. Charlotte Tennyson and Dr. Oscar Hansen, and one of the very interesting studies actually involving Colombian cohorts that was presented by Dr. Yakil Kiros. And then finally, uh, it was Douglas Galasco, Dr. Douglas Galasco, who highlighted the standardization, even 
in in the process of uh, taking plasma research and plasma biomarkers uh, on the way to clinical applications dr douglas galasco highlighted the importance of standardizing these and importance of having some risk score predictions and that i i thought the whole session was amazing to begin with and then on the other side since my background is machine learning i was also looking out for uh, different exciting works on that front what i found interesting was a round of oral sessions where uh, it was mostly concentrating on identifying subtypes within the uh, ad pathologies which i found interesting because we all know that how heterogeneous ad pathology is and then when you're using these methods uh, to identify these subtypes and understand how they are differing in terms of progression or in terms of their uh, imaging atrophy in, in the brain that i found to be a very promising uh, direction because uh, like i mentioned before one of the challenges of using machine learning is the explainability of it that is the most uh, important thing we need to uh, concentrate on when we are trying to apply that in a clinical context and when i saw this set of talks in fact one of my colleagues dr kellen peterson uh, presented one of the methods on that and researchers from uh, the amsterdam alzheimers uh, department i think it was led by dr vishya van der fleer and i also heard actually she gave a very great talk on uh, digital biomarkers and uh, my supervisor pointed out uh, mr dr azati pointed out that he was really impressed by the pipeline of digital biomarkers they have so this whole field is is super exciting for me one because i'm from that background and two i also think uh, it's it, if it if it's done in the right way with the correct uh, clinical implications and relevance uh, imbibed into it i think it's a very promising uh, method that's going to come out for the field mm-hmm. and last i would like to highlight one other interesting thing i saw in the poster sessions which i did not think of before coming to the conference is the care side of this so we are all talking about the scientific research side of this but uh, i found it really interesting that there was a section of posters which were concentrating on the patient care mm-hmm. in, in in after diagnosis and i found it really pleasing to see that okay this is also a very crucial aspect and i was happy to see many posters on that front right yeah actually on uh, the first day on sunday at lunch I ended up sitting in the same table as a participant from mm-hmm. Adney and that was fascinating to hear about her side so different to care but even it was so nice for me to see participants here with us and sharing their concerns uh, and their feedback that that was really amazing so thank exactly. you Exactly that's what we want right a patient centric yeah. research that that is ultimately it's them that we want Uh, to benefit from exactly. yeah it keeps us very grounded in in sort of aligning our priorities with you know those of of patients of caregivers of of you know others in the community so yeah, yeah when when i studied for my phd actually i was funded by the alzheimer society in the uk and they do a similar a very a much smaller scale conference to this but it's quite unique in that half the people they invite are researchers the other half of people they invite are their volunteer teams mm-hmm. so you go to the conference you meet all the volunteers who raise the money and you, re- you it's it's an amazing experience cuz you realize how close it is to these people how much it matters to people mm-hmm. and it's it was the first few times I went it was actually a little bit emotional cuz you meet people and they're like they're thanking you and they're like thank you so much for what you do and like you say it's totally grounding and you think oh my goodness like what i did was nothing <laughs> compared to the things you've been through <laughs> i also think it it sometimes highlights for me how our training really lacks communication to the 
uh, lay community and, and training in that aspect. I think we're really good at giving scientific talks and, and writing academic papers and that kind of thing, but we often don't take the time to train effectively on lay communication. One of the reasons why podcasts like this are so yeah. important. Um, but you know, it, it's great to go out there and do some of these community talks or just interact with your participants to share your results. And find out that uh, you know the real question is how does this impact my life on a day to day or, or the lives of those in my community. So I think that's really pushed me to think more critically about how to do that. Yeah. I agree, and I share your thoughts, Connor. I was also my my PhD was also funded by the Alzheimer's Society. I oh, did excellent. it at the University of Exeter, and uh, I actually share, shared in the past with the with the Alzheimer's Association how even Alzheimer's Research UK also usually mm -hmm. does this at the conference. And for me, that's such a big highlight of the conference when I hear someone that experienced dementia at some level, either per them personally or someone close to them, and that I agree, Annalise, that actually, I keep saying it actually takes us out of our day-to-day -day challenges with experiments and grants and papers and reminds us why we're doing this, and it's so yeah. great. Well, I think um, if... Um if I could just jump at one of my highlights from yes. yesterday. Thank you. Um, I, I completely agree with Annalise. I thought the underrepresentation in dementia research was, an, uh, was just an outstanding symposium. Um, and there was something um, Jonathan Jackson said that really stood out to me. And it kind of, it adds to what we're talking about now is that as researchers, you know, there's so much, we know so much about this one niche thing that we study. And sometimes you lose sight of the broader aspect of it. And there was something he said, as a, as a biostatistician myself and working on these large population cohorts, you know, we say all the time, this, pop, this cohort's representative. And mm -hmm. in some ways, in a lot of ways it is, in other ways, it's probably not. Mm. And I think sometimes, sometimes you, you feel as, as a biostatistician that it, you've got to take account of everything. And what Jonathan said was, well, you don't because you're trained as a statistician. You're not trained in the historical perspectives of why there's so many inequities, why these inequities exist. And you shouldn't be expected to know all that. And I think one of the important things he said was that we really need to broaden the team. Mm -hmm. And it should, like, you shouldn't be a biostatistician that has an expert, uh, expert expertise and how to approach ethnic minorities. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we should be broadened out to say, well, we need someone who is an expert in these things and bring them into the team and they can advise on these things. And it, you sh there shouldn't be an expectation of, well, you need to understand everything <laughs> because yeah. we can't understand everything. And you, you need people to advise on these things. Um, but I thought that that symposium on the whole was just fantastic. Um, Jason, um, Jason Flats from the University of Nevada, I thought his talk was amazing. Um, and I just thought it was so refreshing because he gave a big, he gave, he spent a long time talking about the terminology that we use for sexual, um, sexual and gender minorities. And even like, I, I'm a gay man myself, and I just thought, oh my god, I am so uneducated. <laughs> and and this, is, this is the community that I'm a part of, and I, I, I never think about these things. And there's so much that you don't think about. And I just thought it was so refreshing to hear someone explain things like terminology and how we talk about these groups in such a calm and reflective way. Because it, uh, so I mean, it's all over the media at the moment. You know, these these discussions get so hot, and people can be so can be so it can cause so much hurt to people. And it was just so refreshing to hear someone describe it in such a calm, collected way. 
Can um, I add a comment to that? Yeah. I think what you're saying is so important because even in reflecting in sort of my own journey in research, um, you know, language is so important, and I think it's also a huge barrier for people. So, you know, not knowing the correct terminology in this space where it is really hot and it's a, it's a you know, tough climate, some people just avoid it, right? They yeah. avoid studying those populations, talking about those populations, because they don't know how to talk about it effectively. So I think, you know, as you said, Jason's presentation and others were so great at, at taking the time to go through that. I think he actually has a, there's a follow-up symposium. Yeah. I think it's 14.6A, if I'm remembering correctly. It's tomorrow afternoon, mm-hmm. um, where they said they'd be going through some of that in more detail. So preview for tomorrow <laughs> yeah and it was just brilliant. and it was full of like even even you know all of this all of this great even just the the, the science behind it was just stuff that I, I didn't even know I mean I had no idea how much higher prevalence of dementia is in kind of um LGBT and transgender communities um and you know you, you kind of think of it in the abstract of you know all all minorities have have issues and kind of the specific issues and how they um how they approach care and um, you know being underrepresented by you know health services, but I've never really thought about in the specifics, and it was it was really eye opening. Um, and like I say, just something I'd never thought of. Um, and I think that's what this that's what it's all about, really. Is um, you know you come here expecting to, expecting to sit in something about plasma based biomarkers, and, <laughs> and you get your mind completely opened yeah. up to whole broader issues, and it's just fantastic. Thank you, Connor. Okay, that is all we have time for today, unfortunately. This has been a blast. It was a real pleasure to, to host these brilliant scientists. Um, you can find bios and Twitter links for today's guests, including myself, on the Dementia Researcher website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. I would like to thank our guests, Dr. Annalise uh, Roman Filipiak, Dr. Bergav Nalapu, and Dr. Conrad Richardson. Thank you so much for being here today thank with you. me. Thank you. Um, and I would like to thank Dementia Researcher for inviting me to host today's podcast episode. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a real pleasure to have a chat with our fabulous guests today. Uh, to our listeners, please remember to subscribe and come back tomorrow for more reflections from day three of the conference. You will also find a massive amount of information on social media using hashtag AIC22, so AIC22. And you can also go to alls.org slash AIC for more information. Thank you and see you around. Brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.